Hey friends, welcome to the first episode of the In No Hurry podcast. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. To put it simply, this is a podcast about life, where we'll talk about things like faith, creativity, sports, and culture. The music you're hearing is from my good friend, Ryan Allward, who also happens to be the first guest on the show. Many of you might know Ryan from his time in the popular acapella group, Straight No Chaser. Ryan just released a Christmas album titled Indiana Christmas, which is perfect as we enter the Christmas season. As somebody born and raised in Indiana and now living in Kentucky, I cannot wait to be listening to this album as I head back home to Indiana for Christmas this year. You can also find his music at ryansongs.com. I had a great time catching up with Ryan and talking about his musical career and his faith journey. I really think his story is going to resonate with you guys, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ryan. Ryan Allwart, it's been an exciting fall for you so far, hasn't it? Yeah, so I've got uh, a new Christmas album. Uh, it's called Indiana Christmas. You know, I, I worked on two Christmas albums with Straight No Chaser uh, back in 2009 and 10, um, but this is the first one of my own. And so the first one that I've done with a, a, an actual band with with instruments. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really exciting. It's going to have 13 songs. Um, it's so fun. I love being in the studio. I just absolutely love being in the studio. We've got musicians on the album from Australia to Nashville to here in Indy, everywhere in between. And uh, it's so much fun. I think this is my maybe fourth project with my current producer, uh, Matt Mellinger. Uh, he and I met. Uh, he was running sound at a gig that I was playing at one time. And turns out we know a handful of the same people. His cousin was a guy in Straight No Chaser in college. So once we put that together, we're like, okay, I think we need to hang out a little bit more. Then within maybe a week, we were writing music that became my first album that I released after Straight No Chaser, which was my worship album, You Are With Me. And uh, so it's, it's a great working relationship with Matt. But the album is super fun. It's, it's very organic. It's very um, acoustic driven. Um, it's just kind of trying to capture the essence of what Christmas means to me in the state of Indiana, having lived here since 92 um, going to IU, like these are really my formative years were here. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's exciting, man. It's, it's sounding really, really good. You tweeted a picture of what I guess was your track list. Yes. And I saw Indiana Christmas on yeah. there. Is that similar to the SNC version? It or is, is a completely new version. No, it's uh it's the same song written by Dan Ponce who founded Straight No Chaser. Just without Mike Luganville's voice. Just on it. dreamy vocals. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, yeah, his, his vocals are so handsome. Um, if that makes any sense now, uh, so that, that song was the first one that Dan brought to the rest of us when we got signed to Atlantic records. So literally the first rehearsal we had, um, it was in New York city. Um, we had just gotten signed. I think like that same day we signed contracts, but at that rehearsal before we like started, you know, conceptualizing about what our first album was going to be. Dan just plopped the sheet music down in front of all of us around the piano. And he's like, I've seen this video. Yeah, right. I mean, I watch it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much less gray hair than, <laughs> than I do now. Um, but yeah, he, he's like, this is the song. And it's, uh, I remember the first time hearing it, I was just, I mean, all of us were moved by it. All of us were like, oh, this is a no brainer. Put this on the album. But the more that we performed it and then hearing the different iterations of Mike Itkoff was the original soloist. Uh, who sang it, and then Mike Luganbill now sings it when they do it live. Anytime we did it live, it always hit. But now seeing it from the audience perspective, now that I've been out of the group longer than I was in it, seeing the, uh, hearing the impact it has, especially on a hometown crowd here in Indy, 
it's really something special. And I, I, I went to Dan kind of like I went to my father-in-law to ask for his blessing to marry his daughter. I went to Dan and I was like, man, I've always loved this song. Would you be cool with me not just recording it, but calling the album Indiana Christmas? And he just loved it. And the fun thing, he's like, I don't want to hear anything until the song is done. He's like, don't let me hear like an early mix. I don't want you to like get, he's like, I trust you completely. That's awesome. But I don't want to hear anything until it's the, and I think he does want to have this like I do. Like I kind of want to be a fly on the wall or in his car when he's listening to it for the first time, because there's something I think very special about creativity and art. And there's so much I know of my own soul and, and just all of me that I put into music that I record, even if it's not my own music, like this song is Dan's, but trying to put it through the lens of my experience and bringing a new spin on the song, um, especially one that so many people know only acapella. Um, it's, there's, there's a riskiness to it, you know? And, and it's like, once you put anything of your own out there into the world, it's kind of like, well, it's not up to me now as far as what it does to other people, but there's sort of this, uh, our, our kids are young, but it's kind of like dropping a kid off at college and be like, okay, survive, <laughs> thrive, you know, do well. And so part of me is uh, just really excited for everybody to hear it, but mostly Dan, you know, um, it was such a, such an honor for him to, to okay, not only okay, but to fully support it. He's like, dude, you're going to crush this song. So uh, it's, I've got on that song, I've got my, uh, I've got a bunch of friends who've played on a lot of my old stuff, but uh, Clifford Carter is the name of the, the keyboardist who plays piano. And Dan, Dan is, he wrote it on the piano for vocals. But Clifford has played on a lot of my stuff, but he's also played on James Taylor's stuff, Bruce Springsteen, Cindy Lauper, Idina Menzel. Like, this dude's legit. And uh, to have him, I was just talking to him actually earlier this morning about the song, is so unreal. Um, and so we, we've got a really good personnel on the album and that song specifically. It seems like, okay, so I, you know, I grew up, my brother went to IU in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, cool. And he always would bring home the S&C CDs. Yeah. And so I feel like I was fortunate enough to be an S&C fan straight from the beginning. Right. I mean, it's like, I feel like I'm an OG yeah. S&C fan. Dude, that's the best era to be a fan of, honestly. Because I look back and, you know, um, just, I was thinking the other day, I don't know if it was you that posted yeah. something or somebody, but I was thinking about like that red Indiana album where uh -huh. it was like covers of all Indiana yep. people. And that to me, it's like, I remember very vividly driving through the back roads up to Bloomington from Evansville, yes. listening to that yes. as we were preparing to go to an IU basketball game. Awesome, man. And so when you get to the IU fight song, part yeah. of this, I think it was whenever you you posted the Bicentennial song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, man, this feels like something that would have been on mm. that CD. Yeah. And so just to see the evolution of SNC, and I remember I was a freshman in college in 2008, and I think that was whenever the band okay. or the group was back together yep. uh, officially with the new with the new I guess yeah, professional two, CD 2008 was the year it really and, I mean we got signed it wasn't the year that it blew up but right. 08 was when we got signed and, and I just remember my brother telling me he's like hey SNC has a new album and I was like oh like the group at IU right now he's like no like the original yeah, guys yeah and I was like what what and so I just there's so many I hate to say this there's no, actually this is a good thing but there were so <laughs> many songs that I learned before I mm -hmm. ever heard of the original version, yeah, because I heard S and C sure. cover them. Oh, that's funny. And it's man. funny because I'll hear 
the actual song and I'll want to sing it like SNC does. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's not the same. <laughs> and so like, when I, like whenever That's I fun. hear Jerome Collins sing, yeah. it's like I want to hear him whenever it, instead of like Boys to Men or sure. whoever else he's covered, you know, and yeah. it's like I, I hear Jerome's voice instead. Well, the first time I ever heard uh, Ghost Train off of Last Call. Which is which, one of the best SNC songs dude, ever Dude, it, it's hands down, it's amazing. It was, uh, it, I think it won like the best arrangement, best soloist. This is within like two years of the group even being formed. They're winning national awards, getting recognition from all sorts of different acapella communities around the, the country. And it was like like you, for me, I, I heard them do not only Ghost Train, but like those first two albums were pivotal for me. I was already in choir and already doing shows uh, at my high school. But like that was the first time I'm like, oh, I can do this outside of like I could do this in college, like outside of high school, like I can go to a bigger pond and, and, and do this. And those first two albums, man, I just wore out those CDs. I actually found them the other day in my basement. I have a bag full of like from the original SNC CD to the, um, the most recent SNC CD. Uh, I've got all of them wow. in like a bag in my basement. But the first time I heard Ghost Train, I'm like, oh, this song is amazing. I think, I think Mike Gitkoff, who sings lead on that. I think he did that in one take. Wow. I think he sang it in one take. Um, but it, And then I go listen to the Mark Cohn version. Um, and, and Dan, I mean, that's, it's the same album that, that Mark Cohn did Walking in Memphis on. Right. And um, there's a ton of different great songs on that album. But you listen to Ghost Train, you're like, oh my gosh. Like the way that Dan captured just the essence of that song and then made it so iconic of an arrangement. If you haven't heard it, try to find Last Call is the name of the album that Straight No Chaser did. It was their second album. I think it came out in 98. Ghost Train, I'm almost positive, is track three. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm super nerd about Approximately that. three minutes, 39 uh, yeah, seconds. Yeah, you know. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> but I, it's, I it's, wish that they would upload those CDs to Spotify yes, or something. Yes, I know. Because there's some videos that have surfaced like from one of their first concerts that are on YouTube. Yep. That I guess Randy yeah. uploaded. Yeah. And the, like, for instance, you know, being from Evansville, I obviously am a big Steve Morgan fan. For sure. Um, yeah. So the lines, <laughs> him singing Lion Sleeps Tonight is amazing because yeah. his falsetto is amazing. Yeah, he's incredible. And so that, that one's on YouTube. But yeah, Ghost, the original Ghost Train, you can actually find, I guess, whenever you guys went back to IU a few years yeah. ago, yeah. you were with. Dan, Dan and, Mike and Mike, yeah, on the piano, and yes. and Mike is singing it, yes, and it's funny because he almost forgot the words. For I know, a minute. and it's like <laughs> you, 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 whenever you listen to a song, you know the words and you hear yep. it all the time. But it's funny that the person who's saying it, I know, forgets it every now and then. Yeah, that was a special moment. We were there at uh, it was room four hundred four in the music annex down there in Bloomington. It's part of the music school, and uh, if anyone's ever going through Bloomington, I've heard a rumor that they're that they might be tearing that down, but I haven't heard anything. They need to preserve it. Just I for know, the fact I know, that it's, was born out yes like literally that room um so i wasn't part of singing hoosiers which is the largest campus the larger campus choir that dan was in and handpicked all the guys but my wife lauren was and so ma404 for her is just you know for all of us it's like walking back in time and it feels and smells and sounds just like it was when i was 18 19 years old in rehearsal there but then they still have the same piano and so it's this little time capsule man but yeah we walked in there and i was like you guys have I don't even think Dan, I don't think I prompted Dan to do it. I was, we were just walking around. We're like, we should go to MA404 and hang out. And he just starts playing Ghost Train. And I was like, hold on, got to get my phone out, <laughs> you know? And um, of all the videos I have up on YouTube, it, it's one that like so many people have commented on because they're just diehard Straight No Chaser fans. And hearing it in that very organic acoustic way is really special. But uh, 
yeah, you, you mentioned Steve Morgan. So Steve was the guy that when I came in as a incoming freshman, so I made Straight No Chaser my senior year, second semester senior year of high school with Mike Luthenville. We both knew we were going to IU and both of us were fans of the group already. And we heard through, I think, Randy and Walter that they were having auditions. And they're like, well, if you guys have already been accepted, you should just come on down audition. So we did with a couple other buddies from high school and Mike and I made it. But Steve was the guy that I was, Steve and I have, have always like flip-flopped positions all the time. Like I, I kind of filled his shoes all four years as he was graduating. And imagine, I mean, if you've heard Steve sing like you have, like just, it's, it's a tall order, man. Right? Like, it's like, how the heck am I going to be able to sing like this dude does? And then when we got signed to Atlantic, Steve was in the group for like what's felt like seven minutes. I mean, he was on that first album, but he and his wife were about to have their first kid. He was getting his MBA and he was just like, he had done Broadway. Right. So he's like, guys, I, I can't do this. So he left after that first initial tour that we did when Holiday Spirits, our first Christmas album came out. So then, okay, so he's out then. When I start sensing that I'm leaving the professional group, uh, or my time has come up in that, I hit up Steve and I was like, hey man, you've, you've, you've had this same conversation about leaving with these same guys. Give me some advice and perspective. He's like, well, it's funny you mention that because I've really missed performing. Um, you know, I'd love, to, I'd love to, he's like, I've been thinking about your spot. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I think I want back in. So like, there's this constant revolving door with me and Steve Morgan. Um, but he's a so great when guy, he's man. ready to step back out, he'll give right. you a call and say, "Hey, <laughs> right. do you want like, it's that time again?" You know, <laughs> it's like tag team wrestling or something. Seriously, just that first tenor, just transition. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that seems really cool about just the whole SNC vibe. Yep. You know, not everybody in the group that was signed was in the original group. Correct. But it's like almost seems like there's this tenuous familial line. Where oh yeah. Got, it's almost like the alumni. Base, like just the tradition is continuously passed down so well that sure. even if somebody leaves, they bring somebody in. Like whenever yep. Tyler or Don were brought mm -hmm. in, yeah. Uh, for those that are fans of the group, they yeah. are on a first name basis, you know. But uh, <laughs> um, but it just seems like they're like the group doesn't miss a beat, which is really yeah. cool. And and honestly, general... not everybody sang together in college. They, you know, they you were in different times with each other. Correct. And general population doesn't even catch like who was an original member and who right. wasn't. Like if you're a diehard fan, you know. But I think honestly, like as as we're talking about this, I think the glue in that came from when the original group was graduating. Um, so there were ten guys in that original group. Three of them stuck around for a fifth year. Um and it was originally going to be five of them who were going to stick around and kind of help, you know, help that transition. Then Steve and Charlie followed Dan, Mike, Jerome down to Atlanta and started their own group. Um, they were on RCA for a hot minute. Um, kind of going nowhere fast. Wrote a ton of songs. Tried to do like the whole boy band thing. Um, but Walt, Randy, and DR all stayed around for a fifth year. And them sticking around for us who were like 18, 19 coming into the group to have someone who was 21, 22, who is an original member, it really helped carry the torch. And I think what you're seeing when you when you see like a blend of I think there's nine guys on stage now, I think six of them are founding original members. Um, I think you can trace it back to that summer 
in 99 when those three guys made the decision, you know what, we're going to stick around for a fifth year and see this thing really be able to put down roots. Because they didn't know what was going to happen when they all graduated. Um, you know, the group could have fizzled out. But that leadership really helped, um, I think, create what you're seeing now where you can't even tell the difference between a founding member or an alumnus, you know. Does, does the group that exists at IU now, do they still go by Straight No Chaser or have they rebranded it so there's no confusion? Yeah, they rebranded it. For a while, there were two groups with the same name. And we were really fighting the record label to allow the guys to keep it. Management and the label were like, we can't have two groups of the same name you know, operating. So we said, how about a compromise? Let's have it be Indiana University's Straight No Chaser. That was a Band-Aid. There were promoters who would who would book them thinking it was us. Yeah. Um, you know, and the guys were doing a great job trying to play ball with us. I mean, we have no beef at all with the undergrad guys. But eventually it was like, okay, you've got to go by another name. So now there we it's called a legacy group. So you can trace it all the way back to 96, but they're called another round. And in that transition, we really helped them like we bought all their inventory for them. Like we we bought like a week's worth of full page ads in the student newspaper to help explain like here's what's going on. I think we we helped them pay for some of the cost of their spring concert, you know. And so we're we're obviously not as tight with them as we used to be just because we're now like I'm 38, you know, <laughs> like I don't really talk to many 19 year old kids right. about acapella. But when we went back for the recent uh, reunion, it was so crazy you know, to be back with those original guys and see these kids who weren't even alive when they were, when they were formed, you know, but. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, so you got to write the song for the Bicentennial. Yeah. What was that process like? And I know that you were pretty thrilled to be contacted to write that. And yeah. I think it, it was a unique thing because it, they approached you to write it, but it's like you were part of the group. Right. So it wasn't like you were some stranger writing the song. So it probably was personal to you. But what was that process like writing that song? And how did you feel about the finished product, especially whenever you guys got to perform it? Yeah. So I got a call from Segi, uh, and he said, Segi's one of the guys in the group now and was, uh, he's still a couple years younger than me. <laughs> I almost said he was, he was younger than I was in college. He's still younger. Um, <laughs> Segi was basically reaching out to me, Dan. Um, there's another guy named Joe Cameron up in Chicago. He wasn't a, a member at all of SNC, but he's kind of connected through the music school days. Anyway, um, they said, listen, our plate is super full with an upcoming tour. Uh, we're about to film our PBS special. Like the university has come to us and said, we want you to write and perform a song for the Bicentennial, which is a huge honor, but the group just didn't have time. So they had to farm it out. Um, Mike Luganbill also wrote a, a, a song. So basically four songwriters pitched songs to the group and then that got whittled down to two and then the university eventually picked mine. Uh, it's called Indiana, We're All For You. And it was exciting, man, like to, even just to get the phone call. Right. Like it was, I remember Segi telling me in the call, he's like, listen, man, all of us know you have grown so much and kind of have done the most as a songwriter since you've been out of the group. And you do nostalgia really well, and you do Indiana really well. Um, <laughs> and this song combined all of those elements. Yeah, and I was like, oh, great. This is my, you know, and there was, there was a moment where I was writing the song in my basement on my guitar, and I, I had the idea to put the alma mater into it. And I just remember having to stop because I, I emotionally got moved. I think I might have been tired. I mean, we have two young kids, too. So I was, <laughs> it was like running on fumes. 
and then just remembering, uh, and I, I've had this experience before in the in the studio with SNC and with my own stuff, where when I get moved that way, it's a signpost for me to say, keep following where this is, where it's coming from, and also follow where it can go. Because um, this was a great piece of advice that that I heard from David Britz, who still is the group's manager, but when I was in the group, he, he was representing us, obviously. And he said, you know, we were we were doing something for I think our our, our first or second uh, residency at Harris Casino out in Atlantic City, and we're just tossing songs against the wall at this point, and seeing what'll stick. And he said, guys, for the, for those of you who are arranging songs, don't bring a song to the group that hasn't moved you first, because if it hasn't moved you, it's not going to move the other guys in the group, and it's certainly not going to move an audience. But even if it's kind of an obscure song, but it's moved you somehow and you're, you're willing to suffer and, and, you know, kind of put sweat equity into this song becoming a thing, like you can make it if you believe it. It's like on stage, if you're a performer and you like for me as a performer, I can see other performers and be like, ah, she's she's kind of phoning this one in. Or he's like, yeah, kind of fooled, fooled the majority of the people, but yeah, not really. Right. But anyone like when you're when you're doing something that you love to do, you it's obvious, you know. And so for me, I had to say, okay, where is this coming from? And for me, it was just, you know, I'm married to someone who I met at IU. I have all these best friends from people, you know, from from experiences at IU. The trick was in that song, the university asked the group not to make it so Bloomington specific. And so that was tricky. The first version I sent back to Segi, he was kind of running point for the group of the whole project. He's like, hey, song sounds great. Uh, you need to change like 90% of these lyrics because they're all about, you know, like the sample gates and like Kilroy's on Kirkwood and like very biz and right. All of that. <laughs> there was a line about sinking the biz because I'm like, if you're an alumnus, you, you, you've sat at Nick's and played sink the biz. But he was like, they've got nine campuses that they want represented. So then I go into like, okay, am I going to name all of these campuses? You, know, <laughs> you, you can't really rhyme much with like New Albany. You IU, know? IU Kokomo. Right. Yeah, all those. <laughs> so uh, I was like, okay. And then it, I, I, I then made the decision to personify the university. So I had an idea to say, like, I'm going to sing as the university. Like the first, you know, I would be like, I'm IU. Like I, I am speaking as IU or singing as IU. And then I was like, nah, I think it needs that third person perspective. So the first line is it was 1820 when she was born and raised up uh, in the cool shade of those old sycamores. I'm like, okay, that's a cool line that yeah. I can work with. Then I got a little bit more specific. I mean, the song is only like, I think it's only like three minutes long. Once I found out, okay, here are the lyrics, here's the chord changes, here's the melody. Uh, Mike Luganville and I kind of picked up what we've been doing since we were probably 16 years old playing guitar by his pool, like in high school, where we just worked on the arrangement together. And part of that home demo is actually on the recording. So I'm technically on the recording, Um, and then I get the call. This was another Steve Morgan thing. Steve Morgan was out of the country when the ceremony, the bicentennial ceremony kickoff thing was happening in Bloomington. So Steve can't do the gig. So literally (laughs) they call me and they're like, Hey, can you be Steve for three minutes on stage? Like, I'm like, wait, am I making straight no chaser again? Like, do I need to audition? You know? And so they're like, 
furiously trying to get me like what's your pants size what's your shirt size like we'll ship you what we're wearing and i'm like okay so i show up on that saturday morning at the auditorium down in bloomington and we do the song on stage for three minutes and then we're done so it was like i was back in straight no chaser for like the morning that's got to be cool for you to be able to sing the song that you created with those guys though yeah. you know i mean it's one thing to hear them sing it but i think i, I Feels like they made that that occasion even more special that you got to be on there on stage with them singing it. One hundred percent. Yeah, it, it was kind of a tease though, because all of us had to go home like right after the ceremony. Um, I had a performance later in Indy that night. All those guys are just trying to get home and have some semblance of rest before it picks up back up again. Right. So I think we had lunch after, and then we bounced. You know, but yeah. it was like the the beautiful fall day in Bloomington. Right. And it's like, oh, man, can't we just stay here a little bit longer? But <laughs> it was it was very special. And one, it, it's it's definitely the coolest thing that I've ever done as a songwriter um, to be. You know, I was a marketing major. Um, even that decision was kind of just stumbling where my sister said, hey, you should go into marketing. You're good with people. And, you know, I'm a marketing person. So I'm like, OK, you know. <laughs> So I, I never studied music per se, but um, to have the opportunity, I see it. I mean, it, it was a total God thing to me. It really was like it was my version this year of what happened last summer when I got my first ever opportunity to go into the voiceover world where I voiced an animated mascot of a company out of Dallas that went then and did a national TV commercial with my voice on it that I was never pursuing. But once I started doing it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think I've been created for this kind of work. Right. You know, and so this summer getting the call from Segi uh, to be like, hey, you got a minute to talk about a project that we need your help on. Um, that was just, even if the song had just gotten to me writing it and sending it back to the guys, that would have been really cool. But the fact then that the university was like, that's the one that we unanimously have decided we want this to be a new school anthem all next year and beyond. Like, I think it was uh, when they when they came back to me and said, this song is entering the canon of IU school songs. That floored me. I was like, whoa. When Probably you... in, in when your time at Straight Up Station, did you ever think that you were going to be able to write a song that would be a school anthem type of song? No, <laughs> not at all. Because I mean, you've got Back Home Again in Indiana. Right. You've got the alma mater and the fight song. You've got all these iconic Indiana songs that – you, you almost like don't even try to compete with because they're like they are what they are for a reason. And then to even just be extended the opportunity, man, it was it's still sinking in. Honestly, it really is still sinking in. Um, the university has now got a Web page where you can listen to the song. Um, they, they put the lyrics up. I don't know. What, I mean, I'm like, are, are they releasing this on iTunes or whatever? And they're like, well, we don't know. We don't know. And so honestly, if it was just pitching the song back to the group or just performing it on stage there at the auditorium that would have been cool enough but now what's really fun man so i'm in a band uh party band here in town with my wife and a bunch of friends um and the bride at this wedding that we just played at the other week she went to iu she saw um all the hubbub about the bicentennial song and she requested it at the reception wow <laughs> And honestly, man, this was so crazy. Like, I had to have my wife hold my phone in front of me to, like, remind me of the lyrics. And I had our guitarist's electric guitar. I wrote it on acoustic, so I've never heard how this is going to sound. And it's just this three-minute solo guitar moment. And the bride just lost it. And, and it was so fun because no one else in the crowd knew what the heck was going <laughs> on. But the fact that the bride, who was a big Straight No Chaser fan, 
she was like, I want to hear that song. I'm the bride. It's my wedding. Play it. And I was like, you got it. And so it was like the first time I'd ever publicly performed the song by myself, unexpectedly, spontaneously. And so special moments like that, man, as a performer, just make uh, make me super joyful. And uh, it, it really is uh, a big, big honor to be involved with. Will we hear your wife on your Christmas album? Yeah. So uh, my wife, Laura, and I met through singing. Uh, and she, she uh, is singing on... Uh, Baby, It's Cold Outside, which I released as a single last year with her. Um, and so that's, I don't know what track that's going to be on, but Lauren will be on there. Um, our daughter, Olivia, is also going to be on All there. Right. Not not singing, although she's got a killer voice. Like, she's got a great ear. How great old are your voice. kids? So Olivia's five, and our son, Gus, is two and a half. Okay. Um, and so recently, uh, we were, my producer, Matt, and I were like, okay, we think that there's a moment for Olivia. Uh, it's in Go Tell It on the Mountain. And uh, it's a really neat arrangement that he and I worked out for it. But there's this little interlude. It's like an eight-bar interlude before we go into um, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. So it's kind of this fun little arrangement that we've got. And there's this eight-bar interlude that we're like, okay, let's have her record something. And so it's been so fun as I have stepped into this voiceover world thing over the past year, now having my daughter on my lap with a microphone in front of her and the computer in front of us, and I'm telling her what to say. and then being able to edit it and hear it sounds like, you know, she, she did the nativity story from Luke chapter two. She's like that wow. night there were shepherds guarding their flocks in the, you know, <laughs> and hearing her little voice. I heard it today in the studio. Cause I was doing some, some uh, finishing touches on that track today for my solo hearing her little voice, man. It was just like, it was such a fun, fun moment. And I think that's what I like, too, about technology is the ability to, as she grows, we've still got what she sounds like at age five right. on the album. So it's going to be Go Tell It on the Mountain featuring Olivia Allward. That's awesome. And it's a fun little curveball, you know, where you don't expect it coming, but it, it it's just so sweet. And she sounds just so, like, so freaking cute. So I'm pumped. It. But, yeah, Lauren will be on it. Olivia will be on it. Uh, Gus is not making his debut anytime not soon. Not quite yet. Maybe not, the next one. Right. Yeah. We might have him sell merch this time around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, how certain things in your career have, have been God things, yeah. that kind of thing. I mean, just think about, I mean, you, you're touring with Straight No Chaser, you know, becoming a very popular group. You yeah. guys are having nationwide tours, even international tours. Right. And for most people, that's kind of the dream is mm -hmm. to be able to tour and do those kind of things. and then. You had a moment, you kind of decided, I don't know that I want to keep doing this, and you felt called to do other things. What was that process like? I mean, you kind of hit on it a little bit earlier where, um, you know, before we started recording, you were talking yeah. a little bit about um, just the moment when you realized, like, you know, do I want to keep doing this or do I want to keep moving to this next right. part of life? I mean, how has, how has that, how has your faith impacted your career decisions, I guess, is kind of the easy way of putting it. Yeah, it's... Um... It's absolutely the bedrock of what I'm doing. Um, I am just starting at 38. I think maybe being a dad has done this to me, certainly being married. But it has totally changed the lens that I'm looking through as opposed to like, man, I want to go out and be a musician. It's like, oh, I'm made to be a musician. I'm made to be an artist. Just earlier this year, um, I sort of did this exercise with a coach friend of mine who like I had on a piece of paper, it was like, I am an artist. And for someone who's jumped around from job to job, I mean, good grief, I did professional acapella singing to leading Young Life for five years, the same amount of time that I was in the group, I was, 
you know, I took that amount of time and led, you know, uh, an entire chapter of an outreach ministry for high school kids. There have been a lot of pivots professionally in my life, but vocationally, I'm starting to understand like, oh, God has totally given me these amazing experiences and connections and um, and talents and passions for his glory, for my my family's provision, and for my enjoyment. Like that that's something that like it is so fun for me to be in any sort of setting where there's a microphone. Like where we're sitting now is this room that is kind of basic. It's a ton of soundproofing, my gear. Like I'm not a gear head, but like anywhere there's a microphone, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like I could live in the recording studio. And I knew that in college. And so like I, I do think God gives us and has certainly given me like little signposts of things that I'm super stoked about that I can't get enough of. Mm-hmm. Like being, I, I did a voiceover downtown in Indy yesterday where I'm just having so much fun. It didn't even feel like work. Like the biggest amount of work was the commute. That was it. Right. But once I get in front of a microphone, it's like, I'm, I'm made to do this. Right. And uh, so for me, it's totally foundational. Like um, the, the story though of leaving Straight No Chaser was an 11 month process for me. Um, it was the first time that we went over to the UK for our own tour. And I remember I was the first guy to land. Jerome and I were the first guys to land. And we we're both just super dragging because of the, you know, the, the time change and all this kind of stuff. It's this cold, ugly, dreary, gray UK day. Right. And it's like, oh, let's just find the bus so we can just sleep. And I think that was the first day where I realized I don't know how much longer I'm supposed to be doing this. Did you tell anybody for a while or did you keep it to yourself? No, 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 (laughs) no, no. I internalized everything. And that probably added to the stress. Oh my gosh, dude. Like the day that I'm about to tell the guys, our manager comes in. This is 11 months after I've like been sensing, you know, something. I think my days are, are, are up. Our manager comes in and he's like, hey guys, I'm leaving my old management company to start my own and it's going to be this huge, awesome step forward for the group and like, we're going to have so many more connections with groups and, and artists that we want to interact with and collaborate with and everybody's like, yeah! And I'm like, wow. You know, it was like, the timing of that couldn't have been coincidental in my mind. So for me, there was this really powerful moment. I've even got it as a reminder on my phone every year. October 14th of 2012, we were on a, uh, it was called Chasers at Sea. Like anybody who's a straight no chaser fan calls himself a chaser. And so it was like, we're taking, a, I think maybe like a five day cruise. And uh, it's an up close and personal kind of like a rock, rock yacht thing, minus the rock because it's acapella. But um, <laughs> I remember it was the last night that we're on the cruise ship. And I'm like, I've got to tell these guys before we all go home and rest before our fall tour. Because I don't want that bomb to go off right before the last tour. Right. And I'm like, I, I can only tell them after tonight's show. It's the last performance that we have to do. And I'm like, I don't want those guys to be on a cruise ship all week being like, wait, you're leaving? So I just I asked them before the, before the gig. I was like, hey, guys, before we all go to dinner tonight after the show, can I just have like five, ten minutes of your time? I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Well, we do the gig. And uh, they, you know, some guys had forgotten. And other guys had to be like, oh, wait, Ryan, what did you want? I'm like, wow, here we go. But about two hours prior to that, of me opening my mouth to talk to the guys, about two hours prior, I was in my cabin on the cruise ship all alone. My wife had gone to dinner with the with the other wives, and I was just like freaking out. Right. I'm like, Lord, how are you 
going to move us out of this? Right. What is what are the guys going to think? What am I going to say? How I how am I going to make it sound at all rational to go from this rocket ship has not only left, but we're like we're screaming like things were amazing financially, professionally, all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm about to I'm, a, I'm about to roll. And then I'm like to even to even say and I'm going to lead a youth ministry in my hometown. Like what? Were you scared that they wouldn't understand it, or were you worried that maybe um, your friendships with them would be altered? I mean, I, I don't think you were the first one to leave the group by that no, point. But I, I guess, what was going through your head? Yeah, specifically, everybody else who had left, it made sense. Like Dan left to go be on the news in Chicago, which is what he was doing before this whole thing started. Right. Steve left because it's like you're about to have a baby and you're going to go into you know get your MBA. Like I get it. Um, Mike Edkoff left for family, professional reasons, mostly family. So I was just like, man, this is going to be, I mean, I was arranging music for the fall tour. You didn't have any kids yet at this point. No, but that was the thing that it was like, Lauren and I wanted to have a family and we knew that we didn't want to raise it. I mean, at the height of it, Cole, I was gone for nine months out of the year. Yeah. I was on the road. And, and honestly, I can't imagine that at all. Dude, I don't care how grounded you are in your faith. If at the end of every night, your work night ends with a room of, three, 4,000 people standing up in rapt applause. Like, I don't care how grounded you are, bro. Like, that's going to jack with your sense that's of identity. That's so true. Your that's identity, so true. like, your your self-worth, your identity. And so, for me, I was blinded, not by, dude, it's acapella. It's not, like, <laughs> what you see on, like, Cribs or what you used to see on Cribs. Like, it's nothing insane. Like, it was pretty tame. You know what I mean? But for me, it was the external validation and the lie that uh, you can't do anything else. Like, what else are you going to do? You know? And so for me, I, I totally should have talked. I, I, I spoke with one friend in my life who knew the group, but who also helped me kind of plan an exit strategy. And he was so, he's still influential in my life. And Lauren, and that was about it. And so the first time these guys heard it was when I was basically like, hey, at the end of the year, I'm out. And it, and then, dude, we have to leave that room. <laughs> <laughs> we have to leave that room and go through all the fans and go to dinner and pretend like nothing ever happened. So to, I'm, in, I'm, in the, I'm in the cabin alone with God in prayer. I'm freaking out. And this overwhelming sense of peace just invades the room. And it was just four words that I didn't hear with my ears, but I heard it like deep inside in my spirit. And, and it was that still small voice that you hear about in scripture. And it was, um, he just told me, he said, I am with you. So that's the, I wondered if that was, my next question was, yeah. did you write anything that came out of that moment? Well, now I know your worship album, You Are With Me, it right. must have come out of that now, moment. Now, it wasn't though. that night, obviously, right. but um, it was then the next period of probably the next nine months where, okay, I... I, I, I just got chills as you told that, because it's it was, like, it was, I can envision that, that I can envision that exact scenario, because I've been through those moments where I'm trying to decide at a crossroads, where, where do I need to go? What do yeah. I need to do? Yep. And to, to get that kind of a comfort is unreal. It was unreal, man. And then that night as I'm sharing, you know, it's kind of like this do or die moment where all eyes are on me. And some guys are like, are we going to dinner or what? What do you have to say? And I'm like, oh, crap. You know, and so this bomb goes off. And there were there were the 10 of us and there were three crew members from our team that were in the room. And once the ball started rolling, it was kind of this moment of like, oh, this is really going down. And some guys had questions naturally. There wasn't any negative emotion that is what I thought I was going to encounter. 
the first person to open his mouth was uh, David Roberts, DR, and he was like, man, I'm just really happy for you. This sounds like it's the right thing for your faith and your family, and we all know that that's important to you, and you got to do what you got to do, and we're behind you 100%. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> hold on, hold on, you know. But the, the, the sense was, as I began to talk, it was almost as if there were a 14th person in the room with us. It was like this sense of, yeah, I'm with you in the cabin. I'm with you backstage on a cruise ship as you tell your guys that you're leaving. And then, man, flash forward. So within within two weeks of my final tour in Straight No Chaser, I was on Young Life staff. I'm in Florida in Young Life staff training, being trained how to lead a youth ministry. I'm like, what? My head was spinning, bro, for like a year and a half after I left the group. But seven months after that, in July of 2013, so I left the group in December of 12. July of 13, I get a call on a Sunday morning coming home from church, and it's a friend who's like, hey, and she's a Young Life committee member, and she's like, hey, you need to come out here. Um, There's a reservoir out here called Geist in Indy. She's like, something's going down at Geist, um, and kids are, we don't even know the full story, but it involves teenagers and Geist. You need to be down here. I'm like, okay. And so my wife, Lauren's like, where are you going? I'm like, I have no clue. So I go out, and I show up on a driveway of someone who I don't even know. And there's a group of 10 girls who just found out from the cops that one of their best friends who had been missing, her name was Peyton, um, she'd been missing for maybe five, five, seven days. Um, her body was found. She took her own wow. life. She drove her car into Geist um, after a long, 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 long battle with, with depression and all those things. And again, you wouldn't have pictured that at all if you saw Peyton's picture. It's like, oh, you know, bright, beautiful, like headed to college, right. you know, to play softball. And then... The internal struggle she was going with, you know, she she ended her life. And so I'm rolling up not knowing any of these girls. They're on their way to a Luke Bryan concert. So they're all wearing like country, you know, like boots and hats and like sundresses. And, and it's the worst day of their life. And, dude, I remember getting out of my guitar or getting out of my car. And I don't know why I was prompted to do this, but I brought my guitar along with me because I'm like, well, I can play guitar and lead some worship songs if they want. I don't know. I've never done this. <laughs> and. I just, I just, I prayed. I was like, Lord, you have to be with me again in this moment because I have no idea how I'm going to get through it. And it was another, I call them you are with me moments. Yeah. And so the first project that I did after I left Straight No Chaser creatively was I, I was like, I want to honor God who got me out of that and into this. And so I did you are with me. And it's the whole album just came out of that one small moment on the cruise ship. Wow. Um, and then what's awesome as God always does he then allowed me to have platforms at Young Life camps for about five years after that, where I then got to share that story. And dude, there, I mean, the, one of my favorite songs on the album is called You Are With Me. And there's another one called You'll Never Be Alone. And the whole theme of the album is like, God is with you, God is with you, God is with you. That's it. Like you boil that thing down. It's like, I am with you. Right. And there would, there would be kids who would come up to me, man, at, uh, after these concerts that I would do at these Young Life camps. And they're like, Either I have tried to commit suicide or I'm super depressed right now or my friend just, you know, had a brush with suicide. Like the way that God uses the talents that he gives us to reach other people, it's like they're for us, but really they're for other people to then get to know God better. And so in that moment, I'm like, oh, man, like all I did was walk faithfully where he was leading. He did everything else in that, man. It was like. Okay, open your mouth and tell the guys that you're leaving. Okay, great. Step one, done. Now, go home. Step three, get out of the group. Step four, go down to Florida for your training. You know, it's, it's step 75, go out to the, the driveway at Geist. You know, it's right. like, 
And so even in this moment, man, like this past week has been crazy, like ups and downs. And it's just insane. Um, and there's this last uh, two nights ago, I had a gig and um, there was a moment. It was my last song. And the whole I, I always close every show with Hallelujah. It's just a beautiful song. It's like one of those ones that I wish that I wrote. And there's maybe 10 people left in the bar and me. And I can tell that it's moving some this woman over there at like table five. <laughs> right. And uh, and watching her get moved and feeling the weight of the week that our family has gone through this week. God just spoke to me in this super personal way where I, I, I was moved by her being moved by the song. And the Holy Spirit just said to me, he's like, it's been a long week, hasn't it, Ryan? It's been a long week, hasn't it? And I'm like, oh, and like in the middle of a song too. I'm like, really, Lord, can you can you just can you yeah. wait till I'm done? Can you wait till the car ride home? You know, let, let like, me finish the song. Yeah, no, he's he's gonna wait till I sing Hallelujah. And in that moment, where it's already a hard enough song every time I sing it to sing because it's such a there's something beautiful and powerful in that song. Um, but he 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 comes through the the things that he's given me to glorify him and honor him and connect with him are the ways that he's going to bless other people. And so that's the way he's going to communicate to me is through music. And like, he's designed me. He's like, I've made you to be a songwriter. So when you're writing a song, I'm going to come in and tell you who you are and who I am again. And we all need those reminders sometimes. I'm a firm believer in that. But I mean, long winded answer to your very short question. My artistry and creativity and passion for performing and entertaining and writing and recording is 100% intertwined with my faith. A hundred percent. One of the best quotes I ever heard, I went to a songwriting retreat um, at a Young Life camp, actually, where like Ed Cash, who's written, I mean, everything that Chris Tomlin wrote has, has basically been touched some way by Ed Cash. He kind of ran it. And um, uh, it wasn't him, but it was the guy that kind of got us all together. He said, you know, as as musicians, our job is to bring people back to the throne room of God where music was created. Wow. And and he's saying, he's like, that doesn't mean that you have to only write worship songs. It means that you have to be your most authentic, vulnerable, real, 100% transparent, honest self, that people should know that you've got something different about you. People should know that there's something unique about why would you leave Straight No Chaser to go lead kids to Jesus? Like, what? That makes <laughs> no sense, you know? And, and, and those things of the past, like I still have, like, I still have the records on the wall and I still have pictures of my time in the group up around the house, you know, I'm and I'm still very blessed to be able to be so tight with those guys still to this day, but it's almost like the accolades and the trophies have just kind of faded, man. And they just weren't as shiny as they used to be. And that's, I think the way it's supposed to be in general, mm -hmm. where it's like, I almost didn't put up the, t these are gold records. These are like, I've, both of these have sold like a million copies. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just okay kind of having them in the basement in the utility room. Yeah. And my wife's like, why wouldn't you have those up? I'm like, I don't know. It's just kind of not what I'm, what I'm trying to do now. And she's like, well, I'm going to be that person and tell them that you should put them up on the wall because <laughs> you worked your, you worked your ass off for those, you know? And I'm like, okay, you're right. But, um, I could talk on and on about how my faith is impacted. And, and honestly, man, you, if you back up, it's like, even the way I got involved in music, like sixth grade, moving to Indiana, and the guidance counselor tells me, hey, uh, maybe you should join choir because they're looking for some guys. 
And I'm like, oh, I don't really, I can't really sing. I've been like in plays and stuff in, in school. That's kind of the extent of how I got involved in choir. Too. Seriously? Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. kind of, I guess I'll try singing. Right. And, and I'm like, oh, I'll audition with my friends for a joke. Well, it turns out the joke was on us because the choir director took all the guys that showed up in the room, whether they could carry a pitch in, or carry a tune in a bucket or not. And about 90% of us stuck around all throughout high school. And it kind of became our thing. We're like, ah, this was the lane that I'm supposed to be swimming yeah. in. Um, and so I have, uh, I have a friend who I'll occasionally on Facebook just be like, Hey, tell your dad who's, who was the guidance counselor, tell your dad, I'm still thankful for him guiding me where he did. The guidance counselor did his job. He guided. Good job. <laughs> and he guided counseled. and he counseled. Yes. Way to go. Way to go. Alan Myers from HSE middle school. Way to go. Shout out to Alan. What up, Alan? <laughs> I know you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, what, what would you tell people who they know that they have a creative a creative drive in them yeah. and they want to do that. I, I got to say that I told my wife this and I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. Oh dude. So, I, I, I love the Enneagram. So yeah. I'm a hard four. And okay. I, and I said, I, I, <laughs> I wrote this in my phone one time. I said something like one of the greatest tragedies in life is art that, that, what did I say? I got to find this. Cause it yeah. was like an artistic soul that can't, express itself it was something that sounded really pretentious but i was really like <laughs> i was on to it and yeah. and she goes that's the most four thing i've ever heard in my life is, is the four the loyalist uh it's the it's the individualist the individual so i okay. said one of life's biggest tragedies is a creative soul unable to free itself from its own bondage wow. <laughs> it sounds so wow. pretentious but it's like when you think about it it's like yeah you know if you have a lot of creative energy and yeah. this is where like i was at a pit where i was really wanting to, to get started on writing this book. Yeah. I was fearful of telling people I've written about this. There's a, there's a chapter in my book about fear, which yeah. is a whole topic that I could spend a whole day of, sure. whole day on. Um, but I was fearful of telling people about it. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to get started writing a book. And I just felt like for me, I had all of this creative energy. I don't know how to let it out. And I know that God is calling me to be creative. But at that time, I didn't know how to do that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that can resonate with that where they know they have a creative desire. They know they want to yeah. use that for God's ability, but they're struggling to find that way to do it. And I don't know if you had some kind of aha moment, but for people that are that are going through that, I mean, what what advice do you have that, you know, if somebody's got creativity and they want to use yeah. it and they just don't know how? It's a great question. I think I would encourage them to show yourself a lot of grace um don't don't dive so deep so fast and it doesn't even have to be like if it starts as a hobby let it just be a hobby i think a lot of people are like oh i want to make it and do this and it's like man i'm 38 and i've been i've been writing music since i was 18 mm -hmm. really like seriously being like this is the first like three years of my life where just doing music has been the bedrock of my family's like financial situation. I'm a three. So like, I'm a hardcore, like I can show you spreadsheets and pie charts. And <laughs> someone asked me the other day, it's like, what are your goals for next year? It's like, well, it's funny. You ask, let me tell you, you know, like macro or micro, you know? Um, but uh, I would say just keep following the nudges, man. Like I, I don't, I don't at all think that you have to be, you know, a Christian to be a, a creative person. I also don't think everyone, I think there's a difference between being creative and being artistic that I think can be a fine line. Um, but I would say, you know, keep pursuing the things that, um, that God's putting on your heart. I think those are from him. And if he is the creator, 
when he has created us, we're made, his, made in, his, in his image, naturally we're going to have creative impulses to mirror and give back what he has given us. And so I've, I've been really, really big on efficiency and productivity lately. I read a ton of like Michael Hyatt. I know he's a big uh, – John Acuff. John Acuff, yeah. He's, he, I think both those guys uh, – I don't know what John is on the Enneagram, but Michael Hyatt's a three, and I think both of them are ENFPs. I'm an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs thing. But anyway – the the parable of the talents has really struck a chord with me lately. Um, I don't want to be the servant who who buries what I've been given. I don't. I'm like, I want the hundredfold return. I right. really do. Now, the shadow side of that is that I will work so hard that it distorts even my view of grace. Where I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm forgiven. Yeah, great. Grace is unearned. Cool. But uh, what do I have to do for you? And God's like, no, 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 man. I've, I've, you're my kid, right? You're you're my you're my son, and you're my child. A friend of mine just recently said, because I'm like, I'm 38. I'm still doing some of the stupid stuff I did when I was 16. She's like, oh, that's because you're a child. You're the child of God for the rest of your life, right? No one's like the adult of God. You're the <laughs> child of God, and it's been fun to see more of, like, I've learned so much of God's heart for me as I have as He is somehow put more room for love and grace and patience and kindness and hope and all those things as, as I have become a father. Right. You know, and it's like, Oh my gosh, I see so much where Olivia who's five, she's like, Hey, can we go pick up walnuts and then we can go to dairy queen? I'm like, yes, kid. All you had to do was ask, let's roll. Let's do that. And I think God like relishes the opportunity to see his kids do what he's designed them to do, but even more than that, be who he has designed them to be. Right. I'm a big doer. I need to sit in being a human being, not a human doer. Right. And so for me, man, I would just say if, if someone is creative and not, and maybe feeling some anxiety or fear, first of all, I don't think that's from the Lord. I think that is certainly from the enemy, but a lot from, from our own experiences and the lies that we've just believed for years that sound like truth. But I would just say, like, Take the pressure off yourself. Do you know how many songs are released every day? Do you know how many books are written? Do you know how many podcasts are published every day? It's like, well, one, I see that as no joke because God is of infinite resource. So in a way, we're just constantly putting out this stream of content in this digital age, which is amazing. But it's like the the vast, overwhelming majority of the world's population is not going to hear or see, or read, or experience Mm -hmm. what you're putting out there. So take the pressure off. Like, it's okay. Like, write for for you, write for the people in your life who are the closest to you. Start with that circle, and write for the Lord. Just do it, or or sing for the Lord, whatever it is. It's like, I don't remember the verse, but it's like, whatever you set your, whatever you, uh, I'm going to butcher it. (laughs) It's like, whatever you set your mind to, do it like you're doing it for the Lord. Like, yes, work your ass off. But do it with the purpose that it's originally intended to. And then, oh, by the way, don't forget to rest. Right. And don't believe the lie, like I do often, that all of this is because of you or because of me. Right. It's like, bro, you can't just play guitar. It's like, yeah, you rehearse your butt off for it. But who invented the wood? Right. Who invented you? Right. You know, like who I think the impulse, the creative impulse is certainly like it's this beautiful partnership, man. That's like. If you look at the Godhead, even like pre-Genesis 1, it's like there's so much of this beautiful dance and exchange that's going on 
that then we get to be invited into that. And then we get to invite other people into that too. Like it should be blatantly obvious if you are a believer and you are a you are an artist of some sort, whether a podcaster, like what you you make pottery, you you whatever, whether you're full time just mom creating kids in a in a home, like people should absolutely see. I don't care if you're extroverted or introverted, like people should see the difference in what we're putting out into the world. The church used to be the most creative place on the planet right. back in the Renaissance, all that kind of stuff, man. Like middle age, like art, cathedrals, like all that. People would work on a cathedral and they wouldn't even live to see it completed. Right. So it's like if you're working on a song that you've never written before, but you think that God may have put some sort of passion for music in you, don't give up when people don't like it right off the bat. Don't give up if you can't write a bridge. Good grief. Like yeah. just lower the expectation. One of the things that I struggled with that I my, – my wife was very big about this because I – you know, I didn't go to seminary. I don't consider yeah. myself a Bible scholar by right. any means. What I felt like, I had a story that I felt like the Lord was calling me to write. Yeah, And I know that I have a, an ability to write. That's like the one thing that I always felt most at peace whenever I do. I love to write. Yeah. I, went, you know, I went to school for journalism and I, and more than covering news and reporting on stuff, I just, like, I love writing. I love being able to tell stories. And I've never been comfortable telling my own story. And so I just felt very compelled for over a year and a half that I needed to tell this story. And I kept trying to convince myself, nobody's going to read this book. Also, like, I'm not the first person to go through this type of thing. It, my story is not unique, et cetera, et cetera. These are all things that I was telling myself. And my wife kept saying, Cole, there's nothing new under the sun. There, yeah. There's nothing new that you're going to offer. That doesn't mean you can't. And she didn't mean it like, I'm not unique or anything like that. She's yeah. just saying like, of course, like people have gone through, like my book is mostly about grief and faith and all yeah. of that. And she's like, yeah, people have gone through that, yeah. but your story, nobody else has that story. Yeah. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, they tell themselves, like you're saying, you know, either they put too much pressure on themselves because they feel like people are going to judge them or maybe they're fearful. Nobody will listen to their music. Well, one thing that I think that John Acuff, I listened to his pot, he used to do a podcast and He's written this in his book as well, uh, Quitter, mm -hmm. and he said, you can't control the miracle. And mm -hmm. what he meant by that was, you think about a guy like Dave Barnes, this was the example that he used. Yeah. So Dave Barnes wrote, God Gave Me You, yeah. great song. It was popular on Christian music channels, um, you know, popular among the 20s and 30-somethings yeah. around that time. It's a great song. Great song. Well, he didn't know that Blake Shelton was going to hear it. Right. And want to record it. I think I think the story was that Blake Shelton heard it, like getting in a cab, going to the airport or something. Mm. And it's like you don't know yep. that that's going to happen. So yep. Like Ben Rector, one of my favorite musicians. Yeah, dude, he's great. He wrote uh, "Brand New." Yep. Had no idea that it was going to get picked up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Had no idea that it was going to get picked up the way that it did. And it's like you don't, you can't control the miracle. Mm. And if you're a writer, if you're a, if you're a musician. You can't control what happens when you put it out there. That's something that, you know, right. you, your faith has to take over and say God's going to do what he wants with this. Yeah, and it, it still takes effort. Like, it still takes Dave Barnes sitting down and working through crappy rough drafts of God Gave Me You. Right. It's still, you know, it's hours of rehearsal. It's not wanting to pick up your guitar when your finger pads just kill because you've been playing all week. It's that still, it's that relentless faithfulness of like, I'm still going to show up and do my part. And that's, I think, the volition and the agency and the control that God gives us. That he's like, okay, this isn't all about you. We're doing this together. I'm in control. 
Um, <laughs> I've got everything on lock. I'm waiting for you just to start typing. And fear is a huge voice. It's a, it's actually, it's a very tiny entity that has a very big voice. Right. God spoke to me in an extremely still, quiet, small voice. I actually wrote a song about that experience on the cruise ship that I was just talking about called In a Whisper. And it's like, you didn't, uh, it, it's based on 1 Kings 19 when Elisha's on the run. Um, and he's like fearing for his life. And God calls him out to this mountain. And uh, he goes out in front of God, and there's this huge windstorm. And it's like, but God was not in the wind. And then it's like a huge fire came around him, but God was not in the fire. And uh, I think an earthquake, but the God was not in the earthquake. And then he calls him out into the front of the cave where he is. And that's where he still hears this still small voice. And that is the encounter that I think if we were just quiet enough and still enough, and extroverts have a huge problem with this. I know that I do. Painfully extroverted social people like me and my pretty much my entire family, except Gus. Um, <laughs> we like God is now speaking to me in moments where actually, Cole, I've become to kind of crave these moments that are mundane, where I'm folding socks. God will come in and share something. Wow. Where I'm playing Hallelujah at a show and He'll come in. When I'm washing a dish and my mind is just clear, when I'm just driving, just kind of zoning out enough. Obviously, I'm not going to zone out when I drive, but like. In those moments, waking my son up in the middle of the night to change his diaper, and it's the hug before I put him back down. It's like, that is when God, like, he's always speaking to us. He is always wanting to communicate with his kids. But he's also going to let you do your thing. And so I think the agency that he's been given us is one of the greatest gifts. And if you look at what he does, too, he's like, I love you enough where you, if you don't choose me, I'm still going to let you do that. He didn't create robots. He didn't create like these. We have agency in this. We have skin in the game. So for you to show up and create a podcast or just sharing your story, your wife is so wise where it's like no one can tell your story like you. Right. No one can tell your story like you. We're wired for story, though. We were we were created by words. The word of God spoke and things happen. Two of the things that propelled me to finally get out of that rut. So I was, I volunteered for just a couple of weeks at my home church in Evansville yeah. to work, uh, just to help out at uh, Wednesday night youth group. Mm -hmm. And the youth pastor there is a young guy about my age, um, very fiery preacher, awesome guy, awesome, awesome, uh, just knows how to speak to people. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that he said in one of the uh, sermons, he kept repeating and saying, Break out of your shell because you have a story to tell. Hmm. And I kept thinking, that's cool. And I kept hearing all these different things that were telling me to tell my story. And he kept say, repeating that, break out of your break out of your shell because you have a story to tell. Yeah. And fast forward a few months later, um, the pastor in Bowling Green, the church that we go to, we were down at, down there for church, and uh, this is the pastor that married Emily and I. And um, he kept saying, stop making excuses to not share the gospel. And for wow. me, that meant like okay, I need to stop making excuses yeah. to not write yeah. my book. And I yeah. think uh, for anybody, whether that's, you know, a faith-based creativity sure. or anything, you know, I think I, all creativity comes from God. I mean, mm -hmm. think of, like, I just have to look at the world around us and I can say, yeah. you know, creativity comes from the Lord. Yes. And I was just talking to my daughter about this on the way home from preschool. I'm like, look, God could have made the trees the most boring things in the world. Right. Like, what's the purpose of a tree? Okay, oxygen. Got it. He could have just, ah, they're going to stay green all year. No, like, 
the beauty of just a fall tree in Indiana right now in late October, like good grief. And so I'm trying to give yourself to Brown County. Also, if you've not been there yet, or even just come to Fishers, like (laughs) Fishers is where it's at, but Brown County, good grief, but sorry to cut you off. But yes, he's, he's constantly creating. It's just on us to even be aware of it. Yeah. What have you learned the most about God and your, from the time that maybe, I guess we'll say when you entered college and you joined Strano Chaser, um, you know, going through, touring days with Straight No Chaser to working at Young Life to now where you're at professionally, what have you learned the most about God? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think that if all of this went away, if my ability to sing, hold a guitar, uh, speak, if all of that went away, that he would still be good and that he would still love me for who I am and not for what I do for him. I, I think I'm learning, man, that like all of the, there's a, there was a book that just totally changed my theology where it's called With, and it's called, uh, it's by a guy named Sky Jathani. You can find it on Amazon for like 12 bucks. I got it as a party favor, a party favor at, at Mike Lukenbill's <laughs> wedding, uh, like wedding shower thing. That's awesome. The host of the party was like, hey, this book totally changed my life and my faith. Grab a copy if you want. <laughs> I'm like, okay, free book. I want to write a book that people give away yeah, right. as a wedding favor. Dude, you are writing a book that people are giving away. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, and so I dove into it. And the whole concept of like, you can live your life over God, under God, for God, and from God. But the whole point is that you're supposed to live your life with God. The story of of scripture, Genesis and Revelation, it's like God's in a garden with his people. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, we're coming up on Christmas. Like, good grief. Like, the fact that he would come in in the most vulnerable form possible. Like, the, the I think Easter is awesome. Like, Easter is awesome. Good Friday, awesome. But, like, the mystery of the incarnation and Christmas, mm-hmm. God showing up as a baby, What? He's like, yeah, and and it, like the the humility, not just to come in as a baby, but like a Middle Eastern brown, um, impoverished little tiny kid in a in in like the same place next to animals. Right. It's like, yeah, King of the Universe coming in this way. It's a total plot twist, and right. I love the way that God writes stories. And that, to your point earlier, and, and Emily's point. We should share our story because he's invited us into this amazing story of his own. Right. And so I think for me, man, you know, I've learned a lot of lessons from God and about God. I think that's part of it, though, is that we're meant to be not just aware of him and who he is and intellectual assent to um, like, OK, I, yeah, I believe these things. Check, check, check. So for a lot of my life, my, my faith was a get out of hell card. It was like, well, at least I'm not going to hell. In college, I just rested on the laurels of that. Right. Like, I can do whatever the heck I want. Right. He's already forgiven me for it. It's like, okay, yeah, but you're not growing at all. You right. don't know him at all. Right. Um, but even in those moments, the moments that he's covered me when I've been a total idiot, um, I think is just, I'm just learning grace, man. And he gives us every single day to learn it too. And like, he gives us moments where, I mean, just just this past week, I keep going back to this past week because I'm still processing it of just what what our family's been through. He's like given us so much hope and so much promise to be like, it's, it's, I'm still going to be in the stuff that you're scared of. I'm still, I'm already there. Like all you have, literally all any of us have is just right now. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, you've got your computer open and you're like, what do I write? Or if you're like, do I ask her out or do I volunteer for this? Or do I move over there? 
Um, do I break up with it? It's like spent like God already knows what he's got for you. And I do think there is called like a difference between being already in a, in a relationship with Jesus and not, but I, I don't think that he's not at play over on the side of the coin that if you're, if you don't know him, he still can't reach you. Right. And I think he's not just going to come up and smack you in the face and be like, Hey, I'm God. I created (laughs) you. I think he's going to try to use the people who <laughs> he's also created to to reach you not with a not with a a piece of cardboard with you know a bible verse on it but just like the way you interact with someone who like like this like across from a table like who like you've got an opportunity to to show God's love to the world with every interaction that you have with anyone anyone and here's the deal we're gonna fail we're gonna screw up i screw up at my most precious relationships with my wife with my kids daily i treat random strangers sometimes better than i do yeah my wife you know and it's like or myself that's the thing too man is like we can really tell ourselves some hor- we we bit ourselves up harder than we would ever talk to someone else right you know um and so what am i learning about god oh, just everything <laughs> just everything possible that I can get my hands on at this point. And, and and just that he's he's just a good dad, man. Like he's just a really, really good we we uh I I'm part of a radio show here in Indianapolis called Radio Theology. Um and we got to interview Paul Young, who wrote the book The Shack. Right. And shout out to any writers out there trying to be like, should I write a book? Paul was there his family was 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 on hard times and his wife was encouraging him, like, you should write a book for our kids for Christmas. And he wrote The Shack. As a Christmas gift. As a Christmas yep. gift to his family, his kids. And then his friends are like, yo, this is really good. Yeah. Kind of went through a couple different edits and self-published it. The, the whole like millions of dollars he's made on that book aside, what it's done for people's relationships who have been hurt by the church before. Paul, to- Paul told us in his interview on Radio Theology, he said, it took me 50 years to wipe the face of my own father off of the face of God. Wow. Took him 50 years. Like, so in, in, in my work with Young Life, I have friends who lead a ministry called Young Lives, which is sort of a subset of Young Life. It's for teen moms and their babies. And it's an amazing ministry. Like, go look, if, if single moms, unwed moms with babies is up your alley, like, go look into Young Lives. But um, my friend Erin, who, who, who ran and runs it here in Indy, she said, the hardest thing for me in ministry is to try to present a good and loving father to young women who have been abandoned or rejected or hurt, uh, abused perhaps by, by men in their life, whether they're, you know, boyfriends or, or whatever, or dads that she's like, you try to present a good and loving father to someone who doesn't have one. They like, don't know what that is. They have no way of being like, oh, okay, cool, great. I'll trust him. What do I need to do? Right. You know, and so that's, again, I, I think, you know, Jesus said, they will know, they, the world, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. Like the way you love one another, not by how many scripture verses you have memorized. I think memorization of scripture is important, but he's like, that's the best thing. Like, I am love. I have created you in love to love me back and to love people around you. Of course that the world is going to recognize me by the way you love them. Rick Warren, who's got a great quote, <laughs> it often like I've seen it attributed to like Dave Chappelle on Instagram. It's not. It's Rick Warren. He says, the world has believed two major lies. I'm paraphrasing here. 
One, that if I say I love you, I have to condone and accept everything that you choose to do. And if I say I, um, I disagree with you, then I must hate you. And it's like, no, no, we live in such a gotcha police kind of society. We live in a culture that will like destroy mm -hmm. people um, for fun. And it's like, dude, we can have a civil disagreement. We can have, like, I can still love you and should still love you despite our differences. Right. Like, good grief, man. Like, that's the table of the kingdom, man. If you look at the if the, the banquet in, in Scripture when Jesus is talking, like the parable that he's talking about, the, the great banquet, it's like he's pulling people from ditches, being like, I want them at the, the head of the table. Yeah. It's a total reverse economy that, like, what am I learning about God? That he does not operate the way that we want him to. But when we get in step with him, it's not just good things happens for our benefit. Those are byproducts of it. It's right. just we get to learn more of who he is and who we are and who needs him around us and how ready he is to provide opportunities and resources and relationships for those miracles to happen. It's like stop waiting on God to create a miracle. Like go be the miracle for someone else in your that's life. That's so good. I mean, that's like – that that's I, I, that's just so perfectly put because it's like people want to wait for things to happen and and I think you hit on something so good about like just the polarization of our society right now. Yeah. I was talking to my in laws about that last night. Um, you know, it. I heard a great quote from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They asked her, "You and Justice Scalia used to always argue and get contentious with each other in the courtroom, but you guys would go to opera together on the weekends. How are you able to do that?" Mm. And she said. Because we respected each other, yeah, and that's just like, just yeah. as being a, a genuine human being, yes, and as Christians, yes, you know, we're called to do that, and it's just you see how our country is going, and it's hard for people to imagine doing that with, yeah. you know, oh, you're a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I can't talk to you now. We we love tribalism. We exactly. love camps. It's like my camp keeps me safe, and if I go over there, I'm either going to be eaten by you, or I, I think, I think the the number one threat to the Christian church in at least Indiana, Indianapolis that I see. Okay. I'm not going to, you know, try to speak for the entire Christendom around the world, but like it's that we eat our own really well. Yeah. We eat our own really well. And for a world that's breaking, we should be seen as a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Wow. That's great. That's from our church. Our, our church says that every single week, like whoever's preaching, like first words out of the mouth. Like if you are here and you are hurting and you've been dropped on your head by the church, this is a hospital for you, not a museum for us. And it's like, stop eating your own. Like the world already has enough conflict that if we're supposed to be the light on the hill, if we're supposed to be the salt and light of earth, it's like we need to be doing a lot better at knowing who God is, who we are in his image and who the world around us is. And it's like, start with those people. Good grief, Cole. There's neighbors who still on my cul-de-sac. I don't know their names. So I'm not saying like I'm getting I'm I'm batting a thousand on this. Bob Goff does not approve of that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I might bat two hundred on a good day. Right. Maybe I should give myself a little bit more credit. Uh, maybe four hundred. But like, it's uh, it's it's pivotal that like, yes, God can reveal Himself through through art, through creativity, through beauty, through whatever believer, non-believer, whatever. I don't care. Like, He can use whatever He's got. He's not going to waste anything. But if you are listening to this and you're like, man, I, I love the concept of this podcast, of the blend of creativity and faith and just life. Right. Um, just show yourself a lot of grace. Like, get in a community of people. I don't think we're supposed to do this whole uh, life thing alone, let alone the whole faith journey alone. Um, I know for me, like, the moments where I'm in the recording studio and it feels like play, it's because I'm with some of my best friends. 
Right. You know, it's because like I, I I get to reflect my creator in the things that I co-create with him. That's I think an important distinction too. I think we're co-creators. We're not just meant to understand it all. Like if you look some of my favorite like stories come from the Old Testament and I don't remember these dudes' names, but like when God was instructing Israel, be like, okay, here's here's what the tabernacle, here's what my house is gonna look like. I need you to get it perfect, okay? And he he gives like he pours out his spirit on these two dudes. One is like a, a craftsman in like metals and like wood, and the other dude is a musician. And I'm just like, what? Why would God use like like Jericho? Like he's like, hey, march around the city and blow some trumpets. <laughs> You know, like God used, and as a musician, as a songwriter, like I love the Psalms where David is just like pouring out his soul to God through song. And I'm like, it's not like God can't hack what we throw at him. It's like, oh, life is hard. Cool. God knows. Yeah. Life is awesome. Cool. God knows. Yep. You know? And so it's like, just be, be the more that I think we can be our authentic selves. And I still struggle with this. My producer, Matt, called me out in the booth yesterday uh, where he's just like, I just don't believe you. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't. And he can have that, that conversation with me. That's like, good to have though. Oh, you have to have it. He's just like, dude, I know you're singing about little baby Jesus in the nativity on go tell it on the mountain. He's just like, I just don't believe you. I feel like you're trying to channel some other version of yourself as you perform this. And he's like, I got to stop you. He's like, we need to come back to this song. And it was very wise. Cause wow. this morning came back, crushed it where I, and he was like, what changed from last night to today? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it, maybe it was the new Ed Cash record that I heard. Dude, if if you're into Christian music, if you're into worship music, Ed Cash and his brother Scott have a new project called We the Kingdom with three other musicians who I think are friends and family members of theirs. It is so freaking good. I can't get enough of it. And like as I'm getting ready, I turn it on. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And then it's like, man, I can't wait to go get go make music like this. That's awesome. So two, also, like if you're in the creative mood, or zone, or you want to be, like, start looking at the people. We've both mentioned John Acuff. Like, John's a dude that I look up to from afar, like James Taylor. I'm one step away from James Taylor, and I don't think James Taylor knows the Lord. I don't. But, like, I'm starting to now, in a way, befriend and I think minister to his longtime piano player. Wow. Who's playing on my album. Who I got to meet through Straight No Chaser. So wow. it's like it, this this beautiful tapestry of relationship and experience. It, and it's it's God just being like, yeah, I know how to do all this. So you just relax. Just show up. Just show up and let me like, let me be your dad. You be the kid. Yeah. Or if you see God, like, let me be your parents. However you want to say that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I got this on lock. You yeah. Know? And just walk, walk with me. Walk with me. Don't worry about tomorrow. Like, he's like, don't worry about tomorrow. Like, I literally told Olivia, my daughter yesterday, I was, she was like, uh, I said, I go, man, Olivia, it's been such a good day with you. And she's like, yeah, it's going to be a good day tomorrow, too. I was like, but you know what? Right now, we've just got this moment. Yeah. We've just got this. Cole, you are the only person in my life right now. Like, seriously. Yeah. Like, at this moment, I'm just like, this is what we're supposed to do today. I think that's the idea. I How I got to the, I finally arrived at the name of this podcast, because it's like, our whole lives, we're always in a hurry. Yeah. We're always in a hurry doing things. And it's like why let's let's be still yes and let god speak to us let's not yes. be in a hurry with our lives yeah and let's be in the moment that we're at right now and i'm not, I'm not saying we can't plan for the future sure. all that kind of yeah. stuff but i think that's that hits right on the head where you know we're in a like our phones we're so addicted to these phones we got to think about what we're doing next and 
posting to get likes and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. um, you know, I wrote the, a piece for Relevant this summer, and it was all about waiting on the Lord. And it was mm-hmm. this, this idea of we're so uncomfortable waiting on anything. Think about whenever you go get coffee. Yeah. Okay? You want to go to Starbucks. Half the time people do the mobile order. They don't want to wait. Sure. If you had to wait more than five minutes for a coffee, you get impatient. Sure. Uh, whenever we pray for, for anything from God, we don't want to wait on anything. And I think yeah. what, what I eventually wrote about was you have to liken it to a farmer waiting for their harvest to come. Mm. And a farmer doesn't microwave their crops and all of a sudden they come up. <laughs> yeah, I right, mean, right, like right. the best crops come yeah. over time. That's a good word. And I just think that for us as humans, that's kind of how we have to live. Yeah. And it's kind of like God is going to do things on his time. God is going to make things perfect on his own time. Mm. And we have to be ready for the waiting. We have to we have to love the waiting. It's kind of like I love the song New Wine by Hillsong. Okay. And it's talks about the uh the process. You think about the process of of wine being made. Yeah. You know, the pruning and all of that that goes into it yeah. and it's like you have to let wine age for it to taste good. You mm. can't get something quick and it all, all of a sudden tastes good. Yeah. And I think, you know, for Christianity, a lot of times, you know, we're so uncomfortable waiting on anything. We pray for something that we want from the Lord and we expect it to come and then we get mad when it doesn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think just mm-hmm. not being so concerned about like what is going to happen down the road, but just being like, God, I'm here with you right now. You're here with me right now. Yeah. And I trust that whatever happens tomorrow, you're going to have control of yeah, it. Yeah, you're still in it. I, I had a that's so good, man. I need I needed to hear that. One of my favorite stories is like the 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 um you are the branches, I am the vine. Right. Cuz I'm as a 3 on the Enneagram, I'm like, man, I want to produce. <laughs> yep. I want this album to sell. I want people I want a ton of people to hear it. Uh, one, it's it's like it's about baby Jesus, but it's also about Santa and like it's a fun song. It's right. like, okay, Santa Claus is coming to town. That sounds it's a good track. Yeah. You know, but like I want, I want to be the the thing that produces the hundredfold thing. I don't know what that is in me. I just want that. Yeah. And I do want it not just for myself, but it's like, man, how can we reach more people? I, w- I was in charge and I helped lead along with a lot of other people, the fastest growing chapter of Young Life in the country after leaving Straight No Chaser. And if that isn't God, dude, I don't, it, yeah. um, I wouldn't be still married if it was just me. Right. Like, <laughs> There's moments where I have to slow down and wait. You're so right. And just be patient. I had, I had a conversation with a friend recently who's like, yeah, I just didn't have time to do that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to push back gently. We all have the same amount of time. Yeah. We don't actually get to make time. We don't get to take time. We don't get to carve out time. Time just moves. We're yeah. just in it. Yep. We're just in it. And so it's actually an issue of focus and attention. Yep. And it's discipline. Like, and discipline. Yep. I suck at discipline. Yep. Um, <laughs> But uh, it, it, it's that concept of, hey, all of this is moving. The train is going to move on the track whether you want it to or not. Um, you know, and, and that's life. Pain, grief, loss, suffering. You know, but without those, our lives don't have meaning and purpose. So it's this constant, like, tension of, like, the hill. he's the god of the hills and the valleys. You know Shout I mean? out to Torn Wells. Come on, come on. And so <laughs> it's uh, it's just for me, just to your, to your question earlier, what have I learned about God? Good grief that um, he's just been so, so unbelievably kind and generous and present and good. And he, like, dude, there have been, I could tell you story after story of times where I've had a hard conversation with a friend about something, and then the next day, 
God will open up a door for another conversation with that friend to to heal that. Or when I'm like, hey God, I really think that I I'm I think you've designed me for this voiceover music like blend of artistry. Like, can I have more of it? Mm-hmm. Literally 20 minutes later, it's like the studio in downtown Indy that's given me a lot of business. That they're like, hey, I got a new lead for you. Can you uh, send us an audition by the end of the day? I'm like, okay. You know, he's like, you have not because you ask not. Just ask. Yeah. He's not always going to say yes. Right. But so I, I've actually invited – this has been fun from a creative standpoint where I'm like, hey, God, let's write a song together. Like you write this through me. Wow. Just use me. Like, yep. like give me a lyric. Like I've been in the recording booth just this past week being like, Lord, take the experiences that we've been going through lately as a family and help that come through the microphone. And I, th- I think that it's that sense of awareness that he's not out to get you. He's for you, not against you. He's near you, not far from you. He's created you on purpose, for a purpose. Like, your life has meaning, but it's not just the thing that you're working on. Like, a book is just a book, bro. But, yeah. like, you're you sharing your story yeah, and inviting other people like me to be on this podcast with you and share their stories. So it's not up to us who hears it. Right. And it's not up to us what they think about it. It's It's on God to connect. He could connect... He could connect this conversation to someone 20 years from now that we've never even met, that right. lives on another side of the planet, that stumbles on us, yep. and God is still going to be in that and speak something to them in that moment. Right. You know, that's just how he works. Yeah. And so, yeah, I could talk about this all day. The, the, chap- <laughs> the, the chapter that I wrote on fear, which I've not shared with anybody yet because I want it to be proprietary to my book, but yeah. that day I was struggling. I, I wanted to write at home. And I was having really bad allergies. My cat kept jumping on the desk and I yeah. couldn't focus. And I was so frustrated. And I was, I had come home from church. I, I think we had just gotten, we were at a wedding in Louisville and Emily and I had gone to Southeast Christian Church uh, where my former pastor in Evansville, his son is the head pastor there, okay. Kyle Adelman. He's, he's an author. Okay. And so I was, so, I was fired up from church. I got home and I couldn't focus. Like my nose was running. My eyes were puffy. My cat was, you know, all the, everything was causing my allergies to go crazy. I couldn't focus. So I was frustrated. I grabbed my stuff, drove to Starbucks, and I just kept praying. And I was like, Lord, I really want to write today, but mm-hmm. I can't right now. I can't focus. And I was like, I need you to, to give me the words to put down on this paper. Mm-hmm. And for three and a half to four hours, I sat at a table at Starbucks, came home 4,000 words later oh on a sheet gosh. of paper. And I, and I, and I, and <laughs> I asked awesome. Emily, I said, Emily, do you want to read this? She said, why don't you read it to me? And I said, mm-hmm. okay. And I read it. 20 some odd pages or whatever it is. Mm. And she said, I think that's the best thing you've ever written. Wow. And I said, I, I said, Emily, I really felt like that was the case as I was writing this. Yeah. And it wasn't that I, th- I thought I was some great writer, but it was sure. like these ideas kept coming. And that was, that was a night where like I, I stayed in, I was sitting up in bed and it was like one thirty in the morning mm. and I was wide awake and I kept gr- going to my phone and writing notes down and adding yeah. more and more and more and more. And she's like, what are you doing? And I said, Emily, this is what happens when my mind is free and I can focus yeah, and, and right, the Lord right. is using my mind. And I was like so wired. And I think it's just so true. Like we have to allow God to come through us. Whenever we're thinking about being creative, you know, obviously we, God gives our, gives us our skills, but you know, I think you're, you're right. You know, you have to ask and he'll like, it may yeah. not always be right then and there. And, and one of the things that I wrote about in my blog post about prayer was, you know, a lot of people like to talk about unanswered prayer or something like sure. that, whatever. Well, it hit me that if I asked for something and God doesn't grant it, who am I, first of all, who am I to be mad about it? Because one, the Lord knows what I need more than I do. Amen. So if I ask for something 
and it's not granted, is that not in itself an answered prayer? Yeah. Because right. God's saying, you don't need that. Yeah. If I granted you th- <laughs> if I granted you this, yeah. your life would not be what it is. Yeah, he's answering it, just not the he's way you answer- want it. Exactly. <laughs> and that, and like I wrote that and I was like, I've never heard anybody have that idea before. Mm. And I was just kind of like, this this hits me where yeah. I, I might pray that I want a certain job. Sure. But the Lord knows if you go and take that job in that town, yeah. your life is not going to be like, that's not where I want you. That's sure. not where I can best use yep, you. Totally. And, you know, we don't know that. And we yeah. might think like, for instance, I applied for two different jobs on two separate occasions at the Louisville Courier Journal. Yeah. And I was like, so dead set on like, that's going to be my next move up. Yeah. And I got interviewed twice for them. Once was there and on the phone. And I was like feeling really good about it. Never got the job. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, why did that not happen? Yeah. And you know, as it turned out, my next job that I got after that was the one in Evansville, which then allowed me to eventually start coaching and then become mm. a teacher whenever I was in Evansville. Mm-hmm. And it was like all of these things that have happened in the last five years of my life may yeah. not have happened if I had taken yep. that job in Louisville. Because right. that was, I was living in Owensboro at the newspaper there, and I was applying for these jobs in Louisville, never got those, ended up going back to Evansville, and then mm-hmm. all these other things happened. And it's kind of like, we just don't know what God has planned for us. And if we pray for something and it doesn't happen doesn't always mean that yeah. God's not listening or God doesn't care about what you want. It's no. kind of like God knows what we need more than we do. So yes. Yes. it's, it's, I, I just said, what if there are no such thing as an unanswered prayer? Mm. And it was, it was cool. Cause like, you know, that was the article that was published on relevant. And so I was just by curiosity, awesome, I was, I was, uh, checking out the comments and, you know, people were resonating with that idea and That's it was kind of like, you know, and I shared it on my Facebook and people were resonating with that idea. And it was kind of like, I never heard anybody preach that. Yeah. And maybe somebody has, I just tuned it out, but like, I never, that idea never was resonated yeah. with me. So, um, you know, I just, I think it's so true with creativity. We have to allow God to come in and you, I mean, he gives us the abilities, but we need to like, for me, it's like, I want to use my abilities for God. I don't want to use them for my own sacred reasons or my own, uh, you know, like personal reasons, you know, I wanted them to be sacred. And that's, sure. um, that was a big reason why I struggled with this idea of wanting to write a book. Cause I kept telling Emily, I was like, I don't want this to be something that's going to give me a, a heightened sense of self-importance. Because mm. when I worked in journalism, you know, you get all kinds of feedback from articles. And, you can, you know, for me, like I, when I was in college, I was covering college basketball. And you get all these people that come to you like you're an expert. And yeah. kind of like you explain whenever you're on stage, it's like people see me as an expert and they're coming to me for this information. And I have this, you get this heightened sense of self-importance. And I told Emily, I was like, I don't want to write a book and allow that to happen to me. And I'm just worried mm. that it would. And she's like, well you have to trust that God's not going to allow that to happen. And so that, like, that was a big reason why not, not just only the fear of being vulnerable about it, but it was like, I don't want, I don't want to let it become yeah. like a, you know, a, a self-serving sure. entity. Yeah. We become more, we become more like that, what we worship, you know? Right. Like if you're worshiping a paycheck, you know, if, if you're consumed with money, if you're consumed with external validation, that becomes your God, your little God with a little G. And God's like, all those, nothing wrong with money, nothing wrong with a room full of people standing up, clapping. But it's like the instant that that gets in between your right relationship with you and the Lord, like things become askew. And it's not because of him. You know, we're often like, God, where'd you go? He's like, where have you been? Right. (laughs) Because I've been here. Right. (laughs) Like I've been here. I've been in all the stuff that you're doing. And it's kind of like when I see my daughter like try to sneak away with the iPad like I don't know. Right. Like, no kid, you need to wait until three thirty and then you can use the iPad for thirty minutes. 
don't come down here at 325 asking <laughs> for the iPad. What are you doing? Has your alarm gone off yet? No. Um, I'm married to it, too. And so my wife, Lauren, is I am like, also. oh, my gosh, they're the best. God bless wives who are twos. Good grief. My mother-in-law is a two. So oh, They're amazing. You mentioned Dave Barnes. Actually, this is a total God thing, too. I get to uh, do a gig with Dave Barnes, Matt Wirtz, and John McLaughlin. Ma- on, de- on December 6th okay. at the Murat. This is cool, too. So 11 years ago, the same week of the show. It's, I think it's December 6th. That's a heck of a show. 11 years prior, John McLaughlin and I, when I was in Straight No Chaser, were on the exact same stage together for WZPL's, uh, it's a, the radio station that I'm on now, coincidental, not coincidentally, but... Um, he's from Indiana. Yeah, right? he's from Anderson. That's what I thought. Um and it, uh, it was our first ever public performance as a group when we got signed was WZPL's Jingle Jam. <laughs> well, it was us, the Plain White Tees, and John McLaughlin. And now, 11 years after that fact, I get to be by myself playing my music with John McLaughlin again. That's awesome. And then, and then it was like, oh, yeah, Barnes and Words are going to be there, too. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is happening? Like, God is just like, he's kind of winking, you know? Yep. And he's and, and I do think that... He doesn't just do it for our enjoyment. I think he likes to do it for his own too. Yeah. Where he's like, oh man, this is gonna be fun. To see the to see the joy on your face and to hear you sing is gonna be really fun for me too. Yeah. You know? That's so, great. Yeah. Um, but anyway. So dude, thanks for this opportunity. This man. is great. I, I hope I hope a lot of people get to hear this, this and is support great. the podcast. And so let's do it again. So Indian yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Indiana Christmas came out November eighth. It's available pretty much anywhere digitally, correct? Yeah, November eighth. Spotify, okay. Apple Music, all that. And then uh, I am going to make some CDs for some people who are a little more old school that that like those more for the keepsake than anything. And then I'm going to release it on vinyl next year in 2020, which will be the first project I will have on vinyl. But November eighth is the date. Uh, it's going to be out, and uh, it's I can't wait for people to hear it, man. It's just, it's it's not probably it's the best music that I've been able to create in the studio um the irony is that none of these songs are mine <laughs> one of my favorite track on the album right now at least today is uh odd lang syne which we then totally that took. is one of my favorite snc songs yeah it's so ever. good like i always loved uh walter chase did an amazing arrangement of that mike Sam. shout out to mike luke and bill shout again out to Luke's. what up Luke's? <laughs> um he yeah. has no idea who I am, but again, I'm giving him all I kinds love, of shout out. Totally like shout out again. Yeah. Um, so I always loved Odd Lang Syne, but we totally chilled it out. The whole concept is as the party is dying in one room, we're walking into another room and just picking up the instruments that are in the room. And it's just super chill and the most intimate. We're closing the album with it. Um, and there's no bass. There's no percussion. It's acoustic guitar, mandolin, harmonica upright piano and vocal and it's just we we i i was so choked up and emotional when we started to write this new section of odd lang syne um because we started to look into like the etymology of it like what the heck does it even mean it's like the good old days and i'm a huge office fan and i i have a theory that someone who's a writer on that show wrote andy bernard based on me um like i'm the real life andy bernard i just i love and hate it that it's so accurate um but there's a quote that in the finale just slayed me in the office where he said, I wish there was a way that someone could tell you when you're in the good old days. Yep. And I, when I heard that, dude, I freaking lost it like a baby. And when we started to hit on that concept of like, no, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like, we're just in time. Like, these right now, this day when you were listening to this podcast, this is the good old day. Right. Th- these are the good old days right now. That's and the title of your next album, The Good Old Days. There you go. Boom. I love it. 
But uh, I started thinking about my grandparents who I lost over the past couple of years and like all these relationships, like uh, a, a, di a divorce in, in our family, like, you know, multiple actually fractured relationships on both sides of our families over the past year, couple of years. And just thinking of like, like even, even now this is still good. And I, I, man, in my relationship with all these kids that I had served over the time when I was on Young Life staff, I think the pervading lie is that that your life doesn't matter. Yeah. Like Indiana's got one of the highest rates of youth suicide in the yeah. country. And it's just like, nah, man, like you matter because God created you. Yep. He, that like period, end of statement. Like your life has infinite inherent worth. And it's just, and it's okay. Like if, if things are hard, that's okay. Like it's, you're going to, you don't get over it. You get through it. And you need community for that, and you need the Lord in that, and He's not going to abandon you in that. And um, that's what I love that I get to do. That that He's given me a platform through my artistry and creativity and music and silly voiceovers and all this kind of stuff. And 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 trying out for Straight No Chaser on a whim over twenty years ago. That He's like, yeah, I'm going to use that and I'm going to bless that and I'm going to give you more opportunities to share about me and you and what we've been able to do together. And ultimately, that I am good, and that I am for people, and that there is hope, and his name is Jesus, and that when you're walking with him, it doesn't mean that it's going to be life is perfect. It's actually going to be harder, <laughs> but it's going to be good, and it's going to be worth it. And so that is my last word. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing yeah, this. You're is, this is awesome. Um, everybody, when you're getting in the mood for Christmas season, make sure you check out Ryan's album, Indiana yeah. Christmas. Uh, I know with me moving to Kentucky, I'm going to be searching for some Indiana nostalgia. <laughs> yes. As I am driving back to Indiana for my family Christmas, yeah, I will man. be sure to listen to Indiana Christmas. Sure, so man. even if you're not from Indiana, uh, be sure to check out the album. I'm excited about it. And Ryan, again, thank you so much for coming you on here. This is great. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm just so thankful for Ryan and his friendship and his perspective on life. And I just really appreciate him walking us through the different seasons of his life and how he leaned on the Lord and what he learned about the Lord through those seasons. And we're definitely thankful for him letting us use his music for this podcast. And please support him and his music. His new album, Indiana Christmas, is out on all streaming platforms. It's a great listen as we enter the Christmas season. So please support him and be sure to check out his music. Come back next week. Phil Heller, who is the lead pastor at Crossroads Christian Church in Evansville, Indiana, will join us. It's a great conversation about change as well. And just to hear a pastor's perspective on the things that are affecting the church and Christians today. And he's just got such a great perspective. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear that conversation as well. So we'll see you next week. Thanks.